Welcome to the First NAS Podcast. We continue Pastor Paul's sermon series on legacy, the legacy Paul has shared to Timothy from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17, and it's titled, Paul's Descent into Greatness. Let's listen in as he preaches. As uh, children are being dismissed for Children's Church, and as you're opening your Bible, let me just give you a few pieces of housekeeping information. First, let me remind you that I pray with everybody who likes to pray at 6 a.m. I think you, you might like to pray if you don't show up to pray with me at 6 a.m. That didn't come out exactly right. If I pray with anyone who would like to join me for a time of prayer at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings via Zoom, uh, and I, I send out a link to that every, more, every Thursday morning at 5.55. And so if you'd like to receive those links, you need to be on the church prayer list. And if you're on the church prayer list and you don't like to receive those links, it's the only tool I have. I'm sorry. And so you get those links. Uh, but join me at 6 a.m. Thursday via Zoom. Love to have you uh, be a part of our prayer time. I am continuing on Wednesday evenings through a series on a book by Dr. Scott Daniels called The Seven Deadly Spirits. It looks at the seven letters to the churches in Revelation in chapters two and three of the book of Revelation. This week we'll be looking at the letter to the church in Pergamum, and uh, it's about the spirit of accommodation. Pastor Bill Carr will actually be leading that time, but we'll all we'll have some time of discussion, and I'm looking forward to being a part of that. And then, uh, just as a like a kind of a out there announcement, uh, we as a congregation have intended every other year to go on an international trip, a missions trip, short-term trip, uh, one to two weeks with anybody who would like to go. And since COVID, we've kind of been out of the rhythm and been unable to make those trips happen. And so uh, we are, we're ready to try again. And in the summer of 2024, we are looking toward a team going to Africa for a week or two. At some point, uh, we, we have a handful of options. And to know exactly what will work best scheduling and team-wise, it would be good if we started to get an idea of who might be interested in a summer 2024 trip to Africa. And so if, if that is something that's interesting to you, our missions president, Roberta Carr, Roberta, raise your hand, call, draw all kinds of attention to yourself, please. Uh, <laughs> Roberta uh, would like to know, you can also talk to me, uh, Roberta's pretty intimidating, so I understand uh, if you need to talk to me. For those who don't know, Roberta is also my sister, so uh, she's, and there was a period in my life when I was pretty scared, <laughs> I'll just tell you, that's, that's the truth, but anyway, <laughs> it might include today. <laughs> oh, no. Pastor Ryan was supposed to be here with me this morning. We, we intend to go through 1 Timothy together, uh, and, and so far he's only made it to one out of the three sermons I've done in 1 Timothy. But I figure in baseball terms, one out of three is like pretty good, so uh, we're, doing, we're doing all right. Pastor Ryan woke up this morning just under the weather. He, as he battles cancer, uh, he, he had a fever and is hopeful that he'll feel well enough tomorrow to receive treatments, and so he needs to get that fever down. So if you're praying for Pastor Ryan, you be praying for that fever to be down, and so he can receive his treatments tomorrow. 
I am continuing through the letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the first of the two that we have recorded in Scripture. Timothy was one of, one of Paul's disciples, and so this letter uh, is, is just a, a great treasure trove of wisdom that Paul wanted to pass on to one of his disciples. And so last week I was in chapter one looking at the way that Paul sees the, the Old Testament law being applied to Christians. And I came to the conclusion that as God's grace is offered to believers in Jesus, God's grace is offered to us in such a way that he can change our hearts to want what God wants. We believe that God, when we talk about the power of the gospel at work in our lives, we believe that that is the power of God's spirit moving in our hearts so that we would want what God wants. Paul says that the, the law doesn't really apply to people who have been walking with God and, and whose conscience is clear. Our conscience is clear because our conscience, we want what God wants. We act the way that God wants us to act. And, and the church in the Nazarene, we really exist because we like really, really believe this. This is like the old Nazarenes were, we would say this and, and we would say, like, we really believe that God can change our hearts that much and transform us. And other Christians would say, yeah, but we're kind of always sinners. And we would say, yeah, but the power of God at work in the lives of believers is greater than the power of sin. And so we think that, like, Paul really means we could live with a clean conscience in front of God because of the power of God at work in us. And so that's why we're Nazarene. As we continue through the letter today, sorry, I just had to preach that one again for just a few minutes because it's really, I like, it is honestly, it is why we are who we are. Um, as we continue through today, I'm going to jump back into a passage. I skipped verses 12 through 17 in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 yesterday, or last Sunday, because it it's kind of an aside. Paul is giving a little bit of testimony here. I want to make sure that I clean up all of my, all of my messes here. So I don't want to, I, I know that you were taking notes and thought like I was chicken to preach verses 12 through 17. It's not that, it's that I wanted to get a, a fair running start at it this morning. So we're coming back to First to Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I think Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He lifted me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me that, uh, sorry, God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. 
All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Well, as I look at Paul's testimony here, I see a couple of of pretty distinct themes that I just want to draw out. There's two themes I'm going to draw out, and then we're going to respond in the way that I think is appropriate from from like the way that Paul writes this little these two paragraphs here. Uh, we're going to respond at the end in in a way I think is is appropriate. And so to give a little bit of broader context, as I look at the at the broader at the first theme that I see here. The, the first theme comes, uh, we, we have to remember the context of this letter, like the broader context, the context in Paul's life. And we remember that this letter is from kind of the very end of Paul's life. It's, it's probably one of the last letters that Paul wrote that we still have recorded in Scripture. And so Paul, Paul was at, you know, in his sunset years, and, and scholars think that maybe even like getting close to to his death when when he wrote uh, this letter and second timothy and the letter of titus those are those are kind of like we think these come from the very the very last days of paul on this earth and at this late time in paul's life one of the particularly notable features that stands out as distinct from other writings from paul is just how incredibly humble he comes across you know, at points in the New Testament, when we think about the, the life of Paul as, as his, his life story that's recorded in the book of Acts and his other letters, we think of this guy who's like pretty confrontational. Like he never backs down from a, a battle when he thinks he's right. Uh, he, he's not worried about like going somewhere where he knows people don't like him. He'll like show up at that place where nobody likes him and he'll be like, hey, I'm here, what's up? Uh, and he, he's just not afraid. He's, he, he, is, he is willing to have the, the hard conversations. And, and Paul, Paul like, was always humble in relationship to God. Like He had the God thing worked out. That, like, and that comes from his history as, as a young Jewish believer. He, he always understood his position related to God. But when it came to his position related to other people, and especially his position of authority in the church, Paul was pretty confident about where he stood. He, he knew that he was, he was kind of important. But there's a progression, there's a progression through his letters as we go, as we go kind of through his history and, and look at his letters, we see this, this humility begin to, to show up. And I'm indebted to a preacher and author that I, I got to hear recently, Harry Lee, for for talking about Paul's descent to greatness. This is, uh, this is a pretty interesting uh, thread that we see through Paul's writings. And if we start with one of his earliest letters, uh, probably his earliest letter that we have recorded in Scripture in, uh, to, to the church in Galatia, this region, uh, not one particular town. But in, in Galatians 1.1, Paul begins this way. He, he begins saying, This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So again, Galatians, probably the earliest letter we have from Paul. It was written, uh, some of Galatians sound like it might have been written after his first missionary journey when he was in Jerusalem. It may have been written during his first 
uh, missionary journey, but it's, it's one of the earliest we have. And, and my point about bringing, bringing it up is, is Paul's just no-nonsense description of who he is here. I, I am an apostle, and it's God's doing. God has seen fit to make me an apostle. And Paul uses that language in other letters, but in, in the letter to, to the church in Galatia, he, he never softens his approach. He has some pretty harsh words for the people in, in the church there, and he talks about his own actions through, through his recent history, kind of tooting his own horn, kind of saying how tough he's been in the face of, of wrong teaching that has been around. He, he even talks in Galatians about how he, he opposed Peter to his face. Peter, who was the, the like top disciple of Jesus during Jesus's ministry. And Paul says, I went and I opposed him to his face, he says in, in Galatians. He, he's just, he has no, no, he doesn't pull any punches when it comes to expressing his, uh, his authority and, and who he is. If we move along in the letters, uh, in, in the timeline a little bit, we get to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was written probably during his third missionary journey, so a little later in life. He, this is his self-description in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 9. He says, For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And so Paul has, has had some career at this point. He's probably taken some lumps. Uh, and he, he begins to see his relative position in the church as diminishing. No longer is he the one who walks into the room and automatically is the authority on all things Christian because he's in the room. He says, I am the least of the apostles. And the least. And, and Paul, like... The, the situation in Corinth isn't all that different from Galatians. Like, Paul is addressing in the letter to the Corinthians, there are some people there who just don't like Paul. There are people who are devotees of other, other Christian teachers and evangelists. There are people who disagree with how Paul talks about Jesus' ministry and, and what Jesus taught. And there are people who are not afraid of being confronted by Paul. In, in the church in Corinth. And Paul, Paul ends up having these like really awkward conversations with the church in Corinth in his letters, like some hair-raising stuff that he has to say, by the way, don't do that. Like, I would be mad at any of you that made me have that conversation with you. Uh, these are awkward, awkward issues that Paul addresses in, in Corinthians. And still he says, like, he's not relying on, you know, by the authority of God, I, the apostle, tell you. He's, he says, you know, I'm an apostle because God called me to it, but I'm the least of them all. But he's not done. If, if, we, if we continue on looking to, to an even later letter, when, when Paul, after his third missionary journey, he was picked up in Rome and taken, or picked up in Jerusalem and taken to Rome for a trial in front of Caesar. As he was waiting there in Rome for his trial, he was under house arrest, and he wrote a handful of letters. One of those letters was, was to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, he describes himself this way. He says, Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, 
he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. You know, no, no longer claiming any title, <laughs> right? Here it's not uh, the least of the apostles, it's the least of anybody. It's, uh, I'm the least deserving of all of God's people. And still entrusted with this great message. Isn't that incredible? He, he's not, again, he's not interested here at all in, in touting his own record and in, in telling people how great he is. He's interested in this incredible message that he's given, been given the, the privilege of sharing. And then when we get to 1 Timothy, after a trial in Rome, after some more travels, late in life, Paul writes these words in, in verses 15 and 16 that I've already read. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. Not just saved by grace. The worst of all sinners. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. Now, I know you people have a memory, and so I'm, I'm, I'm counting on the fact that you remember that he begins 1 Timothy with the words, uh, apostle, <laughs> I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. Paul doesn't shy away from his title, but he doesn't use it as a, as a weapon. He doesn't, he doesn't use it as the reason, Timothy, that you ought to listen to me is because God has appointed me. Thus saith the Lord through his, his servant, me. No, he, he recognizes I, I'm, I'm the worst of sinners. Not, not just the lowest of the apostles, not the least deserving of all God's people. I'm the worst of sinners. My life is good as an example of what God can do with people who are far away from God. That's what Paul says. My life is good as an example for, for people who, who are doing what they think is right, but it is taking them down a pit that is destroying them. I love this progression in Paul's life. The, the incredible humility from somebody who, he goes from like the biggest personal fanboy in the world to, to being the worst of all sinners, totally undeserving of what God has, has done. He's glad to be held up as the example of what God can do with someone who is as far as possible from God to the point of persecuting the church, he says. And it's, an, it's inspiring to me because Father Time is undefeated. Uh, as as we, we all mature, we, we all mature in competence in certain areas of our lives, in ability in certain areas of our lives. And, and there, is a, there is a temptation as, as we mature kind of think pretty highly of, of the way that God has, has used us and matured us. Um, to think things were better back when we were in charge of them. 
to think, uh, you know, I'm, things, things have always been, been best when I've been in charge. And here Paul is staring down Father Time. And what he's found is not looking back to the good old days when I was running the church. He's, he's found humility. You know, we don't, we don't, I, I'm not very old, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't think you have to be very old to think back to some good old days, right? Uh, this is a message for everyone as we mature. Uh, we, we all have a tendency to, to see those good things and to ignore those, those blind spots. And, and Paul says, you know, I'm not worthy of the title. Not only that, I'm not. I'm the worst of all sinners. Christ's mercy on me was, on, was so that I could be an example to others of, of what Jesus could do with the worst of sinners. This is, uh, you know, and, and so Paul, Paul puts forward like any, any sin that you think that separates you from God. Paul says, well, yeah, I persecuted Christians. I tried to get them killed. This is the same testimony also of, of another really fiery preacher in the, in the New Testament, John the Baptist. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist is there trying to, trying to get Jesus some celebrity. And when Jesus begins to get some traction and more people are going towards Jesus than to John the Baptist, John the Baptist's disciples, they get pretty nervous. And they say, John, don't you care? All these people are leaving you to go to, to Jesus. And, and John says, he must be, become greater and I must become less and less. That's John 3, 33. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Um, and so may, may that be the attitude of our hearts. I think that the message in this for us is, is to remember as, as we continue to mature, and, and we do continue to gain wisdom and, and insight, and we continue to do things, you know, by God's mercy, we, do, we get better at the things that we do. May, may Paul's example remind us to give God glory when, when we look at things and, and say, God did an okay thing through me in that. And so Paul's humility is, is the first theme I, I see in this. The second is, is related, and it's, it's Paul's conviction. I, I love Paul's conviction, especially as he's convicted about God's ability to, to do something great with, with our lives, with people. Uh, Paul is just like has this incredible, incredible optimism about how God can has used him and done great things in him, and I, I think he, he sees it as applicable to anybody who would follow his example and follow Christ. When we consider Paul's biography, we, we recognize that he has lived all of his life doing what he thought was best uh, according to God. It, he admits that he persecuted the church, but it was out of ignorance. 
It was because he didn't understand what he was doing that he persecuted the church. Paul was always bound for greatness, though. If you consider Paul's very beginnings, he, he was born, uh, given the name Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin. If you go back a few centuries before Paul, there, the first king that was appointed king over all of Israel is a man named Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul's parents kind of had high expectations for this one. And, and Paul lived in Tarsus, which is uh, north of Jerusalem. It's actually in, in modern-day Turkey. And, and he, at, at a young age, he showed so much promise as a learner of the religious law that his family moved him to Jerusalem so that he could study under an important rabbi there named Gamaliel. And he became a Pharisee, uh, which was the, the subset of Judaism uh, that held to the highest, strictest standard for, for God's law. And in his zeal for making everyone conform to the strict standard of God's law, he saw Christians, the early Christians, as wayward Jews. Jews who had followed the, a, a misguided teacher, a, a wrong teacher. And so he tried to bring them back by putting them in jail and threatening them with death. And, and Paul was doing what he, he thought was good. He showed so much uh, ability at rounding up Christians and putting them in jail that he, he uh, got letters from the authorities in Jerusalem to go do it in Damascus. And it was as he was walking the road from Jerusalem to Damascus that Jesus encountered him and, and changed his life forever. Paul, uh, Paul immediately went then uh, to, to preaching in Damascus. But he did so as someone who was still feared by the Christians. And as he started to speak, he became hated by the Jews. And, and so in Damascus, he, he ends up just after, it seems like not very long at all, he, he ends up being so in danger in Damascus, that in the middle of the night, he has somebody lower him over the city wall in a basket. And, and Paul just had like all these rough edges <laughs> that he had to be smoothed off. And so for, for a period of probably at least 10 years, he, he went to, to the side of Barnabas, who d- discipled him and brought him along. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and, and he emerged from, from that period of time as someone who the early Christians recognized as, as somebody who has the gifts and graces for ministry and should be sent out with Barnabas on, on his first missionary journey. And, and so from, from the outside, Paul's journey looks kind of like U-shaped. You know, it's like from rising greatness as, as a religious zealot with the Jews to this incredible descent to back up as an uh, as emerging leader in the Christian movement, and finally, like, a great leader. It's, it's this huge reversal of fates, right, that Paul goes through. And, but to Paul, his journey was one of, of Jesus lifting him out of a meaningless existence. He, he listed all of the religious accomplishments he had before he found Jesus. He does that in, in Philippians chapter 3. It's, this is one of his letters that he wrote late in life in prison when he was waiting for his trial in Rome. 
And in Philippians, he, he recounts how he was, you know, circumcised on the eighth day and a, a Hebrew of Hebrews and how he had become a Pharisee. He was blameless under the law. And he goes on to say that after I met Jesus, all that was meaningless. It was meaningless. It was worthless to me. And then he goes on in life to offer himself as an example to those who, who would see themselves as never being good enough for God. He, he says, if you think you're not good enough for God, I persecuted the church. If you think you're not good enough for God, I was working against his purpose in this world, actively. I was so good at it, they gave me letters so I could go do it in other cities. And the point Paul is, is trying to make is, is found in that trustworthy saying in verse 15. The trustworthy saying, that phrase is going to creep up again in, in 1 Timothy. We think maybe it means something that was recognized like uh, basic teaching in the early church. Probably something that lots of Christians had memorized. Paul says that, that trustworthy saying, Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus didn't come into the world to take great leaders from one religious movement and draw them to himself and make them great religious leaders in his religious movement. Jesus came into the world to take people out of lives that are destroying them. And from all kinds of darkness and sin that leads to addiction and outward brokenness, Jesus came to save those people. But we don't see an example of that in Paul. In Paul, we see an example of someone who is bound for greatness, who is already being recognized as someone who, who is to look up to. Boy, if our kids could be like little Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. And he looks back on that life and he says, it was meaningless. It was meaningless because it didn't take me to Christ all that success, all of those things that looked so good to the outside world, they are nothing. I'm the worst of sinners. And Jesus has chosen to do this with me. So he takes, Jesus came to save sinners whose lives from the outside look excellent, but are on the inside hollow and ultimately meaningless. And so, uh, you know, this, this is Paul's testimony for us. His incredible optimism of what God could do for anyone else. He says, I'm an example. I'm an example of what God can do. Anybody, who, no matter how far they are from God, no matter how great they think they look in other people's eyes, uh, I'm an example of what God can do if we, if, you, if we just let God do it. But I'm particularly interested in, in the language around it. You know, Paul, Paul is, this is a, a thanksgiving portion of the hymn, or of the letter. Paul, Paul is setting aside this little, little bit really, really to give praise and to show his gratitude to God. 
Look at verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. In verse 14, oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He lifted me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. In verse 17, he ends, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Paul's example to us is that when we consider our story, uh, we should start with thanks and end with praise. We should, we should remember it's by God's good, good work in us that anything good has come from us. It's, it's because of God's willingness to, to help even the worst of sinners that, that we live, that we have this existence we do. And I, and I think the, the example that Paul gives us is, is to return to praise. And so we're going we're gonna to practice. <laughs> Our worship team is going to come. We're going to end today with praise. Because with us, with us, he has done great things and, and he's going to continue to work in us. Will you pray with me as, as our worship team comes? Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. You are God eternal, the only king, the one who never dies. We give you thanks and praise and honor and glory. We think about our lives, Lord. We think about the way that you have seen fit to walk in relationship with us. And we thank you. We, we look at Paul saying he's the worst of sinners, and he persecuted the church, and, and sometimes we feel like, man, if all I had done was persecute the church, maybe, maybe God would accept me. We feel the weight of our sin, God. We recognize that we have done wrong before you. But Lord, you have graciously offered us forgiveness through Jesus. You have sent Jesus to die for us, to raise again, and to give us his spirit so that we could live a life that is pleasing to you. We couldn't do it on our own. You give us purpose and meaning. You draw us out of ourselves. You help us see our, our position in this world correctly. To know, God, that all we have is from your hand. And so, God, because of all of these great things that you do in us and through us, we give you praise. We worship you and honor you. We lift your name high. You are the only one worthy. Thank you, God. Through the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the First Mass Podcast. We look forward to seeing you in person at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston. Come join us.